Well, man, I love Jesus. He's with that, that man. You know, we, he's an answer to prayer for us. And uh, he's our, our new bilingual worship leader. I, I, I'm, I love that song. It's the book of Ezra. It's, it's such an example of the book of Ezra because it was upon God's word that these kings uh, funded the temple. And, and, you know, God's word is, is an authority in our lives. And I, I pray we don't forget that. You know, God is, what a week we've had. Oh, my goodness, what a week we've had. Um, you know, Monday night, we're going we're gonna to show a video of it because we filmed it. But uh, Monday night, um, we had a baptism. We were expected to baptize six of this one family. Uh, already five had been baptized. And, and, um, and so we'd gone to um, a home with a swimming pool, and, and uh, we, we baptized six of these family members. And it was, just a, it was just this moment that we were going, oh, my goodness, God is just moving right now. And, and the matriarch and patriarch of this family, the grandfather and grandmother of this family, were watching, just weeping. And, um, and afterwards, we were just about to leave, and, and I was still wet. And, and, and uh, they came up to me and said, they were just in tears, and they said, you know what, we've, we've put our faith in Christ, we've trusted Christ, but we've not been baptized would you come back sometime and, and would you baptize us? And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll come back whenever you want. I go, you know, I'm wet right now. Um, and there's like a pool right there. And, and they were like, okay. And the grandmother and grandfather of this family, the grandmother walked in in her dress that she was in and just got baptized, right? I mean, it was just this, it was amazing. It was amazing. And then, and we just left going, oh my goodness, what in the world just happened? It was so crazy. And then, and then, um, then Wednesday night, we were in Tulsa at our, and uh, we had dinner with the pastor in Tulsa. And for the first time, we were explaining the vision of our church in Spanish. And families have joined our church. And in Tulsa, Misael says it like this, it feels like fish are just jumping in the boat. And we're trying to figure out what to do. And the truth is, God, God is just moving among us and in, our, in, in us, and I'm so grateful. And, and, and you know, when, when you think about, I want to take a couple of minutes to, to talk about just our next steps, because over the past several years, we have been striving as a church to, to move to financial maturity. And, and God has grown us. God has, uh, you know, we're passionate about this, of learning to honor the Lord with our finances. And, and, and you know, we, we, we're passionate about this individually and corporately. We're so passionate about it corporately that, you know, next year we are going to be providing uh, Dave Ramsey resources to every member of our church for free. And, and this is just something we want to do because I love Dave Ramsey's vision because he falls under our, our philosophy, which is to uh, give generously, to save wisely, and live appropriately. And that's just a way to go, a way to live. And, and you know, today's the day we're starting our next steps giving in our church. And we're kind of reopening that, that pursuit. And, and I love the picture of next steps because all forever we will take a next step as a church. Until Jesus comes back, we're going to be taking next steps. And, and, and you know, 2020 was crazy because that, 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 it caused us to pause, and we, we kind of paused on our, our next project, which that next project was the renovation of the 
Tulsa Campus Fellowship Hall. And I'll tell you, that's a need for us. And, and, and it's time to kind of re-jumpstart our, our next steps. Now, we have several projects in the pipeline. And I just want to talk to you about, uh, about one of them. One of them is the alignment of our campuses. Because God has, God has moved in our church over the last five years by expanding our footprint. And we're in this process of trying to grow into our shoes, if you will, or, or get some shoes that, I don't know if that's a good analogy, it makes sense to me. But, uh, but, uh, but, but you know, now we're three places, we have three locations, and, and God is, we've got to figure out a way to how to align uh, our three sites. And, and, you know, over the past few weeks, we've got a lot of questions about that particular piece, and uh, and. And believe me, I love the questions. I, I want you to know we want to uh, uh, hear questions and feedback, and that's an important part of our process. And, and, and with that piece, there's some confusion. And so our church council met Wednesday night, and, and we have taken some steps. We're taking some steps to kind of clear up that part of our process. So, so I want you to know kind of what our plan is. We are um, we're going to really bring that peace to our congregation. And that's kind of our, our future plan when it comes to the alignment, how we do that. And we're going to have pictures, and, and you'll be able to see that, and we're going to bring that to our body. And, and this is a big deal, and we want to get it right, and that's important to get right. Um, so kind of our process, we work through our church council, our ministry teams, our, our, our deacon body, our leadership teams, and we're going to take, take that piece all the way back through those processes and then bring it to our body. Now, in the meantime, we need to start giving to next steps. It's time to do that. Our family started today. And because and, we're weird here. I love how Dave Ramsey says it's weird. And we're weird here. Because, you know, we could go to all kinds of banks, and they would be happy to loan us money. Uh, we, we, are, we are living debt-free as a church. And, 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 and banks would be happy to loan us money. But, but the reality is, here's what we've already learned. We have learned the blessing of financial maturity. In the fact that four years ago, we built a $2.5 million building the whole project was about $2.5 million over off Garnett, and we paid cash for it. And, 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 and you know what it's taught us? It's taught us to trust the Lord, to, to give generously, to save wisely, to live appropriately. And that's, that is something we've got to do both individually and corporately. Now, part of that challenge is learning to give in advance, to, to, uh, to just um, save wisely. And that's why we're starting Next Steps today. So I want to ask you to ask the Lord. Lord, how would God use you to help us take next steps as a church? Because we have some, uh, now if you want to find out about those projects, here's what you do. We're, we're, we're starting today. And I've, I've heard from many of you going, hey man, is, we're going to start today. My family's starting today. And I'm so thankful our family started today. And, and if, but if you want to look at our next steps, you can go to this website, fbcawasa.org forward slash next steps. It lays it all out. And uh, now that piece of the branding will bring back to you. But, but um, this will give you a ton of information. It'll give you a, there's a button on there that allows you to ask questions. And if you click that button, you'll see it. It'll link to your email. You can send a question or, or and then we'll, 
we'll take it to our staff, our, our church council, and, and we, we want to hear from you. So that's, that's important. But, but, but I want you to know, God is, God is moving. God has grown us. God has entrusted us to expand a footprint. And now we got to get some different shoes, you know, kind of. That's a dumb analogy. I don't know. It makes sense to me, though. But, um, but I'm excited at what the Lord's doing. Now, we, we're going to finish the book of Ezra today, okay? Ezra 9 and 10. And this is a really important passage. Now, we've been, we've been working as a body to write Ezra 7.10 on our hearts. Because when you memorize a passage of Scripture, what happens is God's Word gets written on your heart. And you're able to meditate on it. You're able to reflect on it. It's, it gets in you. And, and the Holy Spirit uses it when you memorize God's word. And so without apology, we're pushing one another to memorize the word of God. It's one of the best things you can do in your walk with the Lord. That's one of the, the greatest, um, you know, it's our only offensive weapon in the spiritual battle. Let me tell you something. We are in a spiritual battle. We're in one. So Ezra 7.10, let's stand together and let's work on it. You ready? Now, the pattern, um, and, and I love it because I quoted several verses in the last service, and I had a church member said, come up and say, Chris, come on. I, I didn't write those verses down. You didn't do the reference verse reference. So, so if, I, if I forget that, push me. Hey, I'm learning this too. So, because um, I quoted these too fast in the last service. So, but remember, reference verse reference. You ready? Ezra 7, 10. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra 7.10. One more time. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra 7.10. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So now let's think about this passage. Now we're in Ezra 9 and 10 today, but, but I want us to understand this crux verse, this key verse. What did Ezra do? He set his heart. So he made a calculated decision to say, God, I'm going to set my heart to you. I'm going to let your thoughts trump my thoughts. I'm going to let your word change my thinking. And that's so very critical. Because God's the one making us, right? We're not making him. And, and God is teaching us. And Ezra decided he was going to let God's voice trump every other voice. And that's huge, hugely important. And, and I, I just want you to know how much peace you would have, how much strength you would have if you let God's voice dominate your mind, dominate your thinking, and shape your, the way you live. That's what Ezra, he set his heart to what? To study the law of the Lord. So he, uh, you know, sometimes we're disobedient to God's law because we just don't study it. We don't, we don't spend time in it. And, and Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, but let's connect with what he did next. He did it, right? He studied the law of the Lord, and then he did it. It reminds me of my life verse. I don't know if you have a life verse. The, the verse that you go to when it's like, man, you just need to hear from the Lord or you need to connect to the Lord, the mission of your life. For me, Ephesians 4.1 is my life verse. My dad gave it to me the, uh, when I surrendered to preach at 15. 
He put that on a Bible, and I thought, well, I better, better memorize it, and that became my life verse. It says this, therefore I urge you, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You know, this verse is not just my calling to preach. It's the calling to be a Christian, be a follower of Christ. And all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, we are, we are moved to put God's word into practice. And that's what Ezra is talking about here. He, he did the word of God. He, he, he put it into practice. And, and, and then when you look at Ezra 7 and 10, he, he taught the word of God, those three elements. He studied the law. He did the law. He taught the law. Now, we've understood and we've, we've, we've connected with the generational picture here because Ezra's looking back on 80 years at how some of God's people put God's word into practice, followed Jeremiah 29.10, and then he's looking forward. The temple's going to be built. We're getting ready next week to start Nehemiah, which is the, the walls of Jerusalem are built, and, and, and Ezra is looking also forward at what God's going to do as the temple is restored. And so, so this is a generational calling to teach the word. And, 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 and I think this is so important because so often churches and people look in the past and they just live in the past. And, and look, we're grateful for our past, but we look to the future because God's at work today and God's preparing us for tomorrow. And this is the reality. And, and now Ezra 9 and 10, let me tell you something. The context of Ezra 7, 10 is so very important because if you casually read Ezra 9 and 10, you could totally miss it. You could totally miss the point. And, and you know, so often people read the Bible through a 2021 lens. And that's hard to do, right? It's hard to get away from our, our cultural lens or, or the, the 2021 internet generation, information age thinking that we have and miss the context that, that these people had no idea what Google was when Ezra was writing this. Uh, they, they, they struggled to see a, 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 a totality of the world like, like we do. It's easy for a, we can, like I'm going to get in a plane on Tuesday to go to Richmond, Virginia, and it's going to take me a couple of hours for the I, an IMB meeting. And, and, you know, they, they didn't travel that quickly, and, and they, they were a different culture. And, and, and you, have to, you have to understand the context of, because if you read this really fast through a 2021 lens, you know what you could come up, you could, you could think that, man, God's people, they're a bunch of racists. And, and man, look at what they did here. They, they're pretty cruel to wives and children. He just got rid of all his wives and children. He, Ezra commanded them to divorce everybody. And you could really miss the point if you, if you don't understand the context. So, so because, because those things, racism and easy divorce, that's not what's going on in Ezra 9 and 10. And in, in the Old Testament, when you hear about God's people preserving a nation, and you hear that all the time, God's saying to his people, hey, man, keep your nation intact. You know what? The Old Testament view of that is, is not about our race is better than some other race, right? 
That's what a modern, like in our 2021 context right now, I mean, someone that doesn't really know how to study the Bible could totally make this a racist accusation against God. But you know what the point is, is it, it's, it's not race, it's worship. That's the point of Ezra 9 and 10. Remember Balaam? You ever heard of Balaam in the Old Testament, Numbers 24 and 25? Balaam is this, man, it's a, it's a terrible moment in God's people, in the lives of God's people, because Balaam was a, was a religious leader, and, and Balak, he was this, uh, uh, this king, and he, he hires Balaam. Balaam's the one with the donkey, you know, it's this uh, cool story in the scriptures and numbers, but, but um, Balak hires Balaam because he wants God's people to be cursed, and Balaam's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna curse God's people, I can't do that. He goes, but I can tell you how you can get God to curse them, and Balak's like, tell me, and so Numbers 25 talks about how Balaam tells Balak, you get them to marry uh, women of another, really the point is another religion, then they'll bail on their God, and then God will punish them. So Balaam does that. I mean, Balaam gives him that advice, but Balak does that. And you know, Numbers 25, 1 through 5 tells that story, but also Revelation 2.14 warns us about Balaam's error. Now, here's the deal. When, when we look at Ezra 9 and 10, the mistake is not race. The mistake that they made is following after other gods. Now, we know from Exodus 19.6 and the call of the church that God's people are, are to be a kingdom of priests. We're to, we're to be a, the, the, the people of God in the Old Testament were to be a priest nation. They were called to, to point the world to Yahweh, to the one true God. And when I look at our church, oh my goodness, that's our calling, to point the world to the one true God. That's what we've got to be a part of. That's why we've got to be focused on that goal of, of being a missionary right here, right now, because that's our call. And here's what happens in Ezra 9 and 10. Ezra comes back to Jerusalem, and he's like, oh my goodness, what in the world's going on here? Because he realizes that, that the sin of idolatry has crept back into the people of God in just a short amount of time. And, and here's what happens. God's people were doing the same thing that they did that got them into exile in the first place. They bailed on the Lord. They started worshiping other gods. And Ezra's like, what are you doing? Oh my, and, and, and it's, have you read Jeremiah? Like Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And if you read Jeremiah, it's like, oh my goodness. I mean, I read this morning about uh, just these analogies of this rotten belt, you know? And, and, and there's so many pictures of God's people following other gods and it was just devastating. And so the point of Ezra 9 and 10, and here's what we've got to get, the point of it is Repentance. That's the point of Ezra 9 and 10. Because, you know, the only forward for God's people is to be right with the Lord. And I gotta tell you, for us, as God's people planted in this place that, that called to this city and, and, and with this expanded footprint in Owasso and Tulsa, let me tell you, the only path forward for us is to be right with the Lord. 
Let's look at Ezra, Ezra 9. Let's just do a big picture of 9 and 10 for a second. Ezra 9, it, it opens with Ezra learning that the Israelites, they had intermarried. They had intermarried with, with the idolaters of the land. And, and, and then he responds to this, to this unfaithfulness with this amazing prayer of repentance that we're going to look hard at today. And, and then the people, of uh, they, they join in with Ezra in chapter 10, 1 through 17. They realize, oh my goodness, we've, we've made a mistake here. And, and the book closes with a list of all those who married. Verses 18 through 44 is the names of all those people who bailed on the Lord. Let me tell you something. That's not a list you want to be on through all eternity, right? Um, uh, but their names are listed, and again, you have to understand the context here. Because if you read this quickly, you would think, man, God is commanding massive divorce and, and he's just rejecting all these women and children and these things. So let's be careful, okay? Not to read this passage with that 2021 view, okay? We gotta, we gotta press on to know how to study the word of God. So let's, let me just take a stab at that and three, three quick things. The, the struggle here is about meshing the worship of God. This is what God's people were doing. They were combining worship of Yahweh with the Canaanite worship. And that's what's happening. Um, guys, that we, there's one God in the There's one God. And we're to not have any other gods before him. Secondly, when you look at this, you, you, a lot of comment, commentators, they point out that there's likely with some of these marriages that they got to Jerusalem married to uh, Israelite women. And they, they, they looked at the Canaanite women and said, man, I'm getting rid of my wife and I'm going for that wife. So before we get all like, oh, Ezra's such a punk, Let's recognize we may not know the full story because if we were in the middle of all those details, we might go, well, wait a minute. Ezra's right. Um, and, and when you look at Ezra 9 and 10, there is massive grief. And here's the grief. Here's the point of Ezra 9 and 10. There is massive grief because they are going back to their old habits. They're going back to their old way of life. And, 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 you know, here's, here's the point. God is, God's people rebelling against God's word is a constant struggle. It's our struggle, isn't it? It's easy to look at these people and go, man, I can't believe they did that. They just watched God do something like we just sang about on his own authority. The kings of Persia just funded the entire temple. Oh my goodness, how could they disobey so quickly? But they did. Now, just think about it. Just think how foolish it is to know the forgiveness of God, to know the mercy of God, to know the hope of God, and then look at God and go, you know what, God? I just, I just don't want to do what you ask. I don't want to follow you. You know, I, I, I just, here's the reality. Our relationship with God is the greatest treasure we have. 
isn't it? I mean, you and I can, when we're down or we're scared or we're afraid, we can go to the Lord and what does he do? He strengthens us. You know, you know when we're facing, and I'll, I'll man, I, I face some sadness. I've had some phone calls this week of, that are sad in my family with COVID struggles and um, a cancer diagnosis that I found out about just a few days ago. But God strengthens us in the midst of those things. God gives us hope in the midst of those things. And, and, and here's what we know. A relationship with God is one of our greatest treasures. Sin is nothing but emptiness. Sin is, sin is, it messes us up every time. And here's what Ezra is doing. He's like, oh my goodness, God, what is happening here? Our people are just ignoring what you've said. They're getting back into their same habits. Now, here's what we need to recognize in Ezra 9 and 10 is we see a beautiful picture of repentance because there will be a time in your life and there will be a time in my life when we will look at God and we will disobey him and we will need to repent. And Ezra 9 and 10 shows us what that looks like. So we got to take some notes here. Because he's showing us what you do when you repent. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9. After these things had been done, the leaders approached me, Ezra said, and said, the people of Israel, the priests, and the Levites have not separated themselves from the surrounding peoples whose detestable practices are like those of the Canaanites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. Indeed, the Israelite men have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed has become mixed with the surrounding peoples. And look at the, one of the most tragic, most convicting statements for me in this passage. The leaders and officials have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. Oh my goodness, I feel that. I don't want to be a pastor that disobeys the Lord. Goodness gracious, I don't want to be on the list of leaders that take the lead in, in dishonoring the Lord. Now, the command to intermarry, not intermarry with non-Israelites, it is not racism. And if anybody that points that out, they're, they're, they just don't understand their Bibles. It's not racism. Moses married a Midianite woman, right? Moses did. Moses is the man, right? I mean, Moses married a Midianite woman. We see this in Exodus 2. Boaz married Ruth, who was a Moabite woman. But in those cases, in Moses' case, in Boaz's case, what happened? They followed Yahweh. The difference here is these were, they were trying to mix their religions. Let's not miss that. Uh, look at verses 1. They have not separated themselves in verse 1 in, in detestable practices, so they're worshiping other gods. Verse 2, the holy seed has become mixed and calls the intermarrying unfaithfulness. So let's understand the context here. These foreigners, they're not following Yahweh. And and. Look, look what, look what Ezra says, verse 3. As soon as I heard this, 
I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and, and, and beard and sat appalled. And then all who trembled at the words of God, the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me. While I sat appalled until evening sacrifice, at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord, my God, saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Now, now if you, what struck me here is that statement that Ezra says, I am blushing. In two times, in Jeremiah 6.15, Jeremiah 8.12, Jeremiah talks about God's people getting involved in sin, and, and he uses this analogy, they no longer know how to blush. Man, isn't that our world? Isn't that a struggle for us? We get so used to get, we get so comfortable with sin that it's not even offensive to us anymore. We don't even blush anymore. But, but, but I, want us, I want us to notice what Ezra does because he's giving us an incredible picture of how to repent. And the first thing he does is he owns his failures. And if you want to learn how to repent, own your failures. Look at verse six and seven. I want you to see this. Saying, oh my God, I am ashamed and I blush to lift my face to you. My God, for, notice what he says, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens from the days of our forefathers to this day. Notice this, we have been in great guilt and for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests have been given into the hand of the kings of the land to the sword, um, to the captivity, to plundering and to utter shame as it is today. I mean, Ezra's setting an incredible example by, he's setting that, um, that kind of Matthew 7, 3 through 5 example. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3 through 5? That's that part of the Sermon on the Mount that says, if, if, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and don't notice the log in your own? That would have been easy for Ezra to go, look at all you people, what are you doing? But he owns his own tendency here to get into his own failure, his own struggle, his own sin. And, and he's, he's quick uh, to recognize those. And if you're going to repent well, and all of us are going to need to repent, I would argue daily. Now, you don't have to start a relationship with God again, but we need to be right with God daily. Every time we find ourselves rebelling against God, own your failures, but also notice what he does. He confessed his sin. You need to confess your sin. We need to learn to confess our sin. Look at verse Look at verse 10. And now, 
Oh God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands. And with, with their abominations, they have filled it from the end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. Look at verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. You know, it's like that first, first John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And Ezra is reminding us that in repentance, confess your sins. And I would challenge us on a daily basis, go get right with the Lord. And when you get right with the Lord, you own your failures. But then you don't just own them, you confess them. We've got to get better at that. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta be, we gotta spend time learning how to confess sins to the Lord. This is important. But then notice what he does next. He, this critical step in repentance, he changes directions quickly. That's what repentance is, right? Repentance is turning away changing directions. And now, when, when I came to faith in Christ, God changed the direction of my destiny. But now, as I grow in my walk with the Lord, um, what is he doing? He's molding me into his image. He's, he's like a potter shaping a piece of clay. He's, he's, he's trimming things. He's, he's molding me into the image of Christ. You know what? I don't naturally look like the image of Christ. I have to learn the fruit of the Spirit. That grows in me, and, and I grow up in my faith. And, and like 1 Peter 2, 1, Therefore rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, I think. But, but he confesses his sin. Now, there's another verse I want you to memorize. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. If you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall, for no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Paul writes something very important in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 that, that, look, God provides a way out. So walk through the door, change directions. Let me tell you something. Every time you are tempted, God will provide a door for every believer to get out of that temptation. Walk through the door. He changed directions. He models how important it is to walk through the door, to change directions. And boy, they change directions here. And we can read that with modern eyes and go, man, that's very harsh. But the reality is sin is so devastating. God calls us to change directions. But then there's something else he does that I think is so very important for us. Number four is that he, you see him, he stayed connected to God and his people. Why do I know that? What are they doing? 
They've, they've rebuilt the temple. They've re rebuilt the altar where they're worshiping God corporately. They're, they're coming corporately and saying, look, Lord, we bring these blood sacrifices to you. We come corporately. Now, we express that differently in the church because of what Jesus did. We don't have a blood sacrifice that we have to make anymore because the sacrifice was made. But, but look at verse 8. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant and to give a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And what's amazing here is it's in the temple, it's in the forgiveness that we are freed from our slavery. Let me tell you something, we were born into slavery called sin. And Jesus came to rescue us from that. And, and, and you know what, this, is a, this passage is so very important because it shows us how to repent. Let me tell you something, me and you will often find ourselves in a moment of rebellion to God. And I see this with people I love. There have been people that I've loved, that I love to this day, that have sat, we sat together and I've said, look, I'm not a counselor, but I'm a pastor. And we sat together and I said, here's what God says about how you should make this decision. And I've had people sitting right in front of me Go, I hear what God says, but I'm just not going to do it because I don't want to. Oh, man. I've done the same thing. And so have you. And the reality is, we need to learn to repent. We need to learn how to get right with the Lord constantly. And that's why I can't, I can't skip a passage like this. Because I'll be honest with you, this is a hard passage to preach. It'd be easier just to skip it. But you know what? When you preach through a book of the Bible, you just can't skip it. We're not supposed to skip it. And, and, and I can't be a preacher, and I will not be a preacher that just says, oh, well, I just want you to feel good. Let me tell you something. When I read my Bible, there are times I don't feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. But so here's, here's what I want us to do. I want, you to, I want you to take a moment and consider your reaction to this passage. Is your reaction to this passage... Man, I feel Ezra's burden and pain and shock that God's people would, would experience God moving in such a miraculous way that, that the kings of Persia would just provide the way to, to build this altar and to fund the temple and release them from slavery. And then just rebel against him. 
Is your reaction to this passage like Ezra, getting on your knees going, no, don't do this? Or is your reaction to this passage, what's the big deal? That's ah, not that big a deal. Ah, come on. Lighten up. Lighten up, Ezra. I want you to think about your reaction to this passage. And let's consider this. Our response to sin reveals what we think about God. You know, the warning of Jeremiah, the warning of Ezra here that we don't blush anymore, it reminds me of Romans 16, 13. I think it's Romans 16, 13. Be excellent at what is good. 16, 19 maybe. Be excellent at what is good, but be innocent of evil. And, and I think that we, even those that know Christ, we have a tendency to go, you know, sin's not that big a deal. But here's the Here's the thing, when you know God personally, when you've been touched by this personal relationship with God, you get a little picture of holiness. And, and remember holiness, that, that's a hard concept for us, even as believers, because like Exodus 33, when Moses was saying, God, I want to see you, and God said, you can't see me because of my holiness, so he hid him in the cleft of the rock, and then God passed by him, and Moses' face was glowing because of the holiness of God. Do you realize that if, the whole, if holy God showed up in this place physically, we would not survive? Not because of a fire or because of... of the reason we would not survive is because of the holiness, the glory of God. And when you know God personally, you get a little glimpse of holiness. A lost world doesn't understand holiness. They think sin's no big deal. But when you think about, when you know God personally, you understand sin. You've been confronted by your sin and Isaiah 6 makes a little sense because, you know, Isaiah 6, that was that moment in Isaiah's life, the prophet, when he saw the Lord and he was high and exalted. And remember what he said? He said, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and, my eye, my, my, and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He understood sin. And when you know God personally, you understand sin. And you know, when you know God personally, you understand the cross. You understand the power of the cross. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become righteous. And I, oh my goodness, I, I sat in the garden of Gethsemane one time. I sat there, and I and I, we we as our, and our group were there, and we were like, "Oh my goodness, 
I wonder if we, we had a, I wonder if we could pray for 30 minutes. Because it was in that garden that um, the disciples slept. Couldn't pray with Jesus for an hour. I said, I wonder if we could pray for 30 minutes. And I remember sitting there in my solitude, thinking about the cross. That God went to the cross for me. He was, like Isaiah said, he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You know, some of you may be in this room today and you've not, you've not known that kind of healing. I want you to know you're not okay without Christ's forgiveness. You're just not. You have no hope in this life or the next. Sure, you can have a good job. You can love your family. You can do your best. But there's no hope. All that's, it's all, it all falls short. But you could know Christ. And it'll change everything for you. I just plead with you. Oh, come and taste and see. Come to Jesus. Now, there's some in this room that you're just not obeying the Lord. And you know what God's doing today? Opening a massive door right in front of you. Come, come back to me. You know better. Oh my goodness, how can you trade the, the joy of walking with the Lord with the emptiness and uh, trap of sin? Let me tell you something. I thank you for our, I'm so grateful for our church to hold me accountable, to be a pastor that just walks with the Lord, you know, obeys the Lord. We need each other. Let's embrace the call to be a church that pushes each other without apology. Come on, let's walk with the Lord. Do you need to repent today? You know what I'm so, we got to get over. You know, we, people ask me, when you give an invitation and nobody comes, does that bug you? Sort of. But I understand because sometimes I don't respond to God's invitation. But I'll tell you what, as long as I'm living and breathing and talking, I'm going to give them. I pray that we are a church that throws aside all that pretentiousness and, oh, I wonder what they think, I wonder what they think. I just pray we're the kind of people that say, Lord, we need you. And I need to repent every day. I need to come to you every, I need you every day. Let's walk with the Lord. Walk through that door today. Hey, Jesus, come on up. And 
I'll tell you what. Listen to him. Respond to him. Our altars need to be filled every week. I'm not saying you have to come down every week. I'm not trying to guilt you into walking down. But learn to repent. Lord Jesus, I pray I'd be a pastor that repents every day. And that's a joy. That's not a burden. Lord, I want to walk with you and serve you. May we be a church that that learns to interact with you every day and confess our sins. I thank you, Lord, that you're faithful and just to forgive our sins. I thank you for the cross, the way it changed our destiny and the way that you meet us where we are and that you mold us into your image and that you, you, you teach us, you lead us, you convict us. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the book of Ezra. And now, Father, we ask that you move us in this moment. Oh, Lord, we need you today. May we never, ever forget that. In Jesus' name, amen.